Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Welcome back to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. This is episode 28 of the podcast and you're listening to Julie. And today I'm going to be interviewing Sheila O'Sullivan, who is familiar to our podcast. She did episode nine and spoke about grief. She is a lost and found specialist. And so that is episode nine of season one of my podcast. Today we're talking about uh, suicide and how to support someone through suicide. And if you're confronted with uh, someone who is approaching you, not approaching you, like not walking up to you to tell you that they don't want to live, but who is confronting you with what is going on for them around this topic, uh, we wanted to speak openly about what to expect in terms of what's physically going to happen to you when you hear these words, but also how best to be in the moment with them. And this is uh, really important because it really is enough to just be in the space with them. And so we talk a little bit about that. So It's a shorter podcast than I normally do, but it was purposeful in the sense that it's a lot of information and it potentially could stir up something in in you and it might be based on an experience, it might be based on maybe your own thoughts. And so I just want you to be as compassionate with yourself as you can be both during the podcast and even afterwards around this really deep conversation that Sheila and I have today. And I'm so grateful for her expertise and her knowledge and her well-spokenness on difficult topics that I believe she has a way of creating a visual of what this looks like. And that will, for you listeners, we hoped will better arm you for what you might be confronted with in the future around this topic. So I do hope that you enjoy this. And I want to encourage you all as you're listening to my podcast to share it with others to let them know about it. You don't have to be a parent to listen to hashtag parenting who podcast. There is a link to iTunes on my website at parenting who podcast.com. The link allows you to rate the podcast and there is a review section and if you click on rating you can rate the podcast up to five stars and write a review and so we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear about your comments your thoughts critiques uh, ideas for future podcasts and we enjoy reading those so please keep them coming 
And without further ado, here's my podcast with Sheila. Oh, hey, Sheila. Welcome back to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you for having me back. Of course. Yes. So today you and I were talking offline, not today, but previously about a really sensitive topic that together we came up with this idea for a podcast episode and that's what we're doing today. Uh, And so the topic is around suicide and how to support those who are having suicidal thoughts. And I wondered if you could just start, Sheila, with where the idea sparked from. So for me, I began noticing that after a couple of really significant suicides uh, in 2018, um, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, and then of course a few years earlier with Robin Williams, that the media and social media had really latched onto the idea of how do we support these individuals? How do we be there for them? And there were all sorts of lovely... um, simple sayings or there might be an affirmation or people were speaking uh, in really broad theoretical terms about holding space or just listening or being quiet and and not filling the space with platitudes and I thought hmm well that's and great another that's piece a- was they would give a 1-800 number and in all fairness you know they're doing the best that they can to help but like saying call this 1-800 number and i remember when we talked about this sorry i'm kind of jumping in but um when we talked about this there is another celebrity christy teigen i think is her name who spoke about her postpartum depression and spoke about how there couldn't have been you know any number of 1-800 numbers flashed before me, I wasn't going to see them. It had to be the people who supported me. That's right. And mm-hmm. and not only is it the, the people, but more to the point, those people that are uh, turned to, the listeners, those, uh, you know, the listeners of the soul is how I, is how I, you know, talk about them. The listeners of that soul in distress, they need to know what this moment is going to be like. And no one speaks about that. No one speaks about the first, the the sort of baseball bat to the head. There you are, you're standing in your kitchen, Mm -hmm. making a cup of tea for your girlfriend or your sibling or your parent or your child, thinking that you're just going to have this really relaxed sort of conversation. And yet you can tell that there's a bit of a a darkness. And then all of a sudden they say, I don't want to live anymore. I want to die. You know, I've got some pills or, you know, last night, I looked up how to make a noose mom Mm -hmm. or, and now these people, these soul listeners are, they've got the baseball bat to their face and they have no idea first off what's going to hit them. And I want to speak about that so that they're, so that each person that, that ends up being drawn into that conversation knows what they're going to physically feel and then have really practical, simple strategies on how to respond. So what actually is that theoretical concept of holding space? Mm-hmm. What does it actually look like in terms of nuts and bolts? And so that's where you and I, that was mm-hmm. sort of where our conversation um, some time ago started. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I can do it largely because I deal with dying and death every day. Mm-hmm. So unlike an awful lot of people, I am extraordinarily comfortable. My bailiwick my sweet spot in life is actually with the entire concept of dying and death. So when someone comes into my space and says, I'm done, I've got nothing. 
and I want out. That doesn't, that doesn't hit me, Mm -hmm. uh, though I know how it can hit other people. So Mm -hmm. that's really sort of the conversation um, that I'm hoping we're going to have today is, you know, how I can help people get a little bit more comfortable with that conversation Mm -hmm. um, because it is a big subject and it's never, ever going to go away. Um, So it would just be very nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate your time and your expertise in talking about this today because I think it's a very valuable piece for listeners to hear and also from your your perspective in, in the work that you do. I wondered if you could touch just a little bit on, and maybe it's through your experience or, or um, what others have told you, but what is the uncomfortable? Like, so we're going to explain sort of the theoretical piece around holding space. So we're going to give some context to that, but what in your experience is the uncomfortable? So what I mean by that is people will often say to me, well, I don't want to ask, quote unquote, uh, my friend Johnny, if he's suicidal, even though that I see maybe his mood is low, because I'm afraid if I ask him, that's going to make him go do it. And I can't live with that. Now, uh, I know specifically uh, with some of the celebrities we're talking about, uh, family members spoke openly about how, well, they were just planning a vacation or I just talked to her this morning and she was planning dinner. So it can be rather sudden and it may, you know, maybe isn't as overt as someone coming. Um, uh, I know that you said that sometimes there's that like bad upside the head and people saying, I don't want to live anymore. So there's a, there's a wide spectrum here, but what is generally the uncomfortable that you hear from people around the topic? So generally speaking, what happens is that people are really uncomfortable with what I call intense emotion or, and the intense emotion tends to surround that existential uh, moment in time where we're considering our own existence. And usually what happens is that there is an inkling and it's a felt sense. It's an intuitive sense uh, for those soul listeners that something is not quite, uh, mm-hmm. it's not quite making sense. Mm-hmm. And they may be able to hear it in the tone of the voice. They may see it in the body language. But by the same token, they're also hearing words Mm -hmm. out of of Eeyore, really, that says, oh, yeah, I'm making dinner, or I'm going to go out on a vacation. But there's a little niggle. And yet there is that uncomfortableness to turn towards it and say genuinely, quite firmly, yeah, that's great that you're planning dinner, but something else is going on here. So, and I'm getting a sense of you're being Eeyore trying to be Tigger. And there are times where I will actually use that language. It becomes a really soft and sort of funny entry point um, to a really big conversation or to showing the person that they're in a safe place. I mean, you can't be any safer than sitting in Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh than to turn towards. And I will use that language with my own clients. I will use it with um, family or friends. I will turn to them and whatever rolls for me in that moment, I'll say, you know what? All I'm seeing is, you know, sunshine from you right now, but there is a big cloud that's floating in behind you. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but I'm seeing it coming. So do you notice the cloud? Do you want to tell me about the cloud? And those people, those souls in distress, the soul, their heart instantly knows that I have spoken to it. Mm. So the human, that human piece standing before me, that flesh and blood, 
the blood may drain from their face and they may look completely gobsmacked that they've been outed, mm-hmm. but the soul knows the soul has, has realized that I've thrown out to them essentially a lifeline. Mm-hmm. And so the soul will turn, turn towards that. Sometimes it won't. And, but at the very least, the soul listener has tried. Mm-hmm. If the soul turns towards, you know, the human feels they've been outed and then they turn towards and they say, yeah, Eeyore, mm-hmm. Eeyore's in a really bad place today. Mm-hmm. Or Eeyore's been in a really bad place the last few days. Mm-hmm. At that particular moment, the soul listener is now going to go, wow. I opened up that door, didn't I? I wasn't quite expecting them to take it. No, and in that moment, they're going to have that mirror. They're going to feel the blood drain from their body. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose their breath. And and I describe that moment, that moment where either you have reached out and and the soul listener is caught the soul in distress, or the soul in distress blurts out. It doesn't matter how it comes to be, but in that moment, I call it both a breath taking moment and a breathtaking moment. Mm. And the breathtaking is that quite literally the soul listener is going to lose their breath. They're going to catch their breath. They may even choke. What they need to really try and do in that moment is take back their breath. And part of that is to literally croak out and it you're going to sound like Kermit the Frog. And I say this to the, when I do these talks and I have these conversations, you're going to sound like Kermit the Frog because it's been a breathtaking moment. You've got no air in you. Mm-hmm. You need to suck in, mm-hmm. just suck in a little bit of air so that when the soul in distress begins to speak, all you need to do in response is say, oh, that's it. Oh, with a question mark behind it. Mm-hmm. It's so soft and that soul in distress will realize now that a connection has been made. You become like two Lego pieces and you've just gotten stuck together. Mm. And so now that O is an opening for the soul in distress to go, to begin to release itself, to speak whatever it needs to speak. And the soul listener simply in this moment now can catch their breath, can begin to breathe. It becomes really important for the soul listener to really start to breathe in the breathtaking moment. And that beautiful moment where the the space has been opened up, start catching your breath, start breathing. Just focus on that and the words and the body language and the emotion that is coming from that soul in distress. This is what we will call that that holding space moment. And I can describe that in more detail, but... I I think you probably have a question in here. Yeah. Well, it's not even so much a question. It's, um, it's, I think for those, and in my experience, people get that inclination that they need to act and do something when they're having that breath taking moment, that moment where they need to catch their breath. Um, and, I really, I mean, everything that you just spoke about, I think is so foundational to how to support someone through this because it isn't about taking physical action. I mean, if obviously if there's like a, 
you know, what they're going to use to hurt themselves with in the room and there's an emergency situation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, like you said, someone in the kitchen going to make themselves a tea. You're having casual conversation, but there's some incongruence there. You're seeing something on their face that's saying that it's all sunshine and rainbows. But, you know, you talk about that soul connection. So you're picking up on, but that doesn't match what I'm sensing. There's that intuitive sense, like you said. And then for the other to say, you know, I've been really low and I'm having these. um, And for those of you who might be listening, who are unfamiliar with the Winnie the Pooh characters and Eeyore specifically, I'll put a link to the story. And (laughs) the reality is I know my kids don't know that. Not that a lot of kids are listening to my podcast, but um, it's such a good reference to creating the sort of images and the storyline here and what we're trying to share. Um, but when, you know, someone has that Eeyore moment and they say to you, actually, for days I've been kind of low. And when the soul listener, as you describe it, is in that moment of recovering their breath, but responding with a, I love how you said it, just an O with a question mark. Yeah. I think that it sounds so minimal and so basic that it almost to some people might sound like it's not enough, but from the two of us, <laughs> both therapists and you specializing in grief work and working with and around death every single day, um, this is paramount. And yes. because what we're trying to do is help with that breathtaking, which is one word versus the two, that soul connection, that existential moment where there, the heart instantly knows that you're speaking to it. And I think that that's just, I wanted to pause there and sort of go back and reiterate that because it's so important that it isn't this big, you know, immediately call 911 or this panic moment. You have to do, it isn't that at all. And it's, and the thing is, what's really important. And the reason that I speak of it as a breath taking moment is that some people to try and get their breath back will fill the space with their own gibberish. So there will be platitudes. Oh, you don't really mean that. No, no, don't say that. Um, But you have so much to live for. You know, life is so great. You know, you just did this or you're looking forward to that. And they will desperately try to be um, getting their breath back by filling it with even more exhaled air. Mm -hmm. And Unfortunately, that immediately shuts down that soul connection. Mm-hmm. So simplicity is is paramount in that moment. And I I I want to add a little bit um, mm-hmm. to my own history, Jules, because mm-hmm. people will say, "Oh, well, that's great." You know, we're sitting with Jules, and we're sitting with Sheila, and they're therapists, and you know, and they do this professionally, and isn't that great? And so they they have professional training and professional supports in a Mm -hmm. moment like this. What I also want people to understand is that in my own personal life, in my own family, I have been touched by suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I have been very present in that moment with a soul that was in distress Mm -hmm. and understanding what that soul needed in that moment Being there with that soul, and I want to float back all the way to the very beginning of our conversation, being there and listening to a soul in distress does not mean that we will prevent autonomous death or suicide, nor will we cause it. The soul is going to do whatever the soul is going to do. 
what the soul is seeking in that moment is an opportunity to be seen Mm -hmm. and to be heard. And in that moment, at the very least, the soul knows that it has a connection with this very real, tangible life, Mm -hmm. life force that it is in. And that is why a simple O Mm -hmm. is so incredibly powerful and so much more powerful than trying to fill the space with more exhaled breath, meaning those platitudes and those affirmations. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to make that very clear that it's not just my professional voice. It's also a personal Mm -hmm. and lived uh, voice Mm -hmm. with respect to suicide, which I, I often refer to as autonomous death. Mm -hmm. Um, It's taking death into our own hands and making that decision on, on our own terms. But I think before we sort of get into that, and we may not even get into that today, Mm -hmm. but because it's a really big conversation, it's one of those really big philosophical existential conversations. (laughs) Um, But I want to build on what happens after you say, oh, Mm -hmm. and try and give people more imagery of of what will happen so that there you are, you're, you're in this space, Eeyore has presented to you, or this really big storm cloud is presented to you. You have said, oh, and it begins to rain, right? And now the person, that soul in distress, begins to release themselves to you. What do you actually do? We are a society of doers, not beers. So how can you wrap your head around keeping your mouth shut Mm -hmm. uh, while also holding space? And uh, the visual that always comes to mind, and when I am sitting with my own clients or family or friends in in this very dark space, is that I create the visual that I am a life raft. That's all I am. Mm -hmm. There's been this person, they've been caught out in sea, there's Eeyore, they're thinking they're going underneath the next wave that hits them, they're going to drown underneath their darkness, and they see you, that soul listener, and what they see is a life raft, and they flop into it. Well, when we visualize that life raft out on the high seas and there's nothing else around, you're sort of in this wasteland of water. Being the life raft, visualize it as one of those lovely soft, I think they're called zodiac life rafts. And the sides are really big and bulbous and squishy and kind of pillow-like. And that's really all you need to be is to be the life raft. That soul in distress has flopped themselves down onto the floor of your life raft. They may even begin to rest their head on that lovely soft cushion of the outside of the life raft. So they may lean into you physically. Um, They may just be leaning into you in terms of their heart. And all the life raft is doing out there on the high seas is going with the flow. They are not pushing the water. They are not pulling the water. The life raft simply floats in the space space. And that's all that needs to happen after the O. The O has just inflated the life raft. The soul in distress has flopped into that life raft and simply float with what comes up Mm -hmm. and focus on that space, on that rhythm of the space. And the soul in in distress is going to tell you or show you what it needs. And more often than not, it's simply, it's simply going with, with the waves. 
And there's a couple of things that come up uh, for me here. And um, I just wanted to touch on the piece around, you know, we both have formal training in this. And uh, before I even became a trained therapist, I actually um, did some training to become a volunteer crisis responder where we went on site and it could have been for anything. It was uh, dispatched by the police and fire service and it could have been a, you know, burned down house. It, Definitely, there were cases where there were suicides, car accidents, those sorts of things. And as a quote unquote layperson without any formal training at that point, it was important for me to, I sought out the training because I wanted to know if I, with training, would be okay to sit in another space. That for me was as I embarked on my career, I wanted to, you know, figure out if, you know, in mind I, I wanted to do this work, but could I really do this work, right? And, um, so we did 60 hours of training and uh, everything that you're talking about, thinking in mind that these are community volunteers that aren't getting paid for this work who are being trained to be that life raft. And yeah. also to make sure that at the end of the day, we were not emotionally harmed uh, yes. by taking on uh, a lot of what we experienced. And so I, I guess that was, you know, when you talk about being touched by suicide in your life, and thank you for sh sharing that with us. Um, for me, my experience is doing this, this training and going out there into the real world and supporting others who were strangers to me, but uh, essentially being that life raft. Yeah. And I, and I think the beauty of, of your entrance to this I hope relaxes uh, mm -hmm. those who are listening, meaning mm -hmm. that anyone can learn how to be a life raft. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of life rafts is that we don't take on, we don't become harmed by, whole, by being life rafts. Mm -hmm. Life rafts don't take on water, right? They, they're meant uh, for the high seas, for those emergency situations. And, and their design is so simple. Uh, and so that's really about this conversation with someone who is saying, you know what, death is inevitable and death will embrace me at some point and I want to engage with it before it engages me. That there is a sense of wanting to have that autonomy, that control over their destiny. And uh, so when that comes into another space, it's recognizing some certain truths. One, yes, we are all going to die. And sadly, our present society attempts to take away our right to death and our experience of dying and death. So when death shows up, our distress with it is largely because we, we're not living with it day in and day out as people did 100 years ago, 200 years ago. So that can create a distress. And now it's simply a case of just make it simple be the life raft. It's going to be okay. It, and that person, that soul in distress is simply wanting to talk through their relationship with the inevitability of death. Mm -hmm. um, and if they can have that space to do that, to talk about, you know, it's eventually going to get me. So why don't I get it first, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. on my terms? If someone can sit with that conversation, it can be that breathtaking conversation that eye-opening, soul-opening conversation. Um, because now you're sitting with someone who is trying to have a real relationship to really understand and explore dying and death um, that perhaps the soul listener 
hasn't ever had the opportunity to do. So in, in some sense, the soul in distress is giving a gift to the soul listener, mm-hmm. an opportunity for them to open up about their own uh, perhaps fear of death, why, why they, they're, you know, they, they don't, they would never consider taking their own life uh, because of a fear of death versus the soul in distress who says, you know what, death might be my friend. Mm-hmm. So it, it creates a, a, a most interesting environment sure. um, and, and an opening space for that discussion of death as friend versus death as foe. Mm-hmm. And, and then recognizing that actually death just sits in the middle for all of us. And it is neither friend nor foe. It is simply, in some sense, our final act of personal growth. It is our ultimate actualization as people in that when physical death presents, it is really the end of our dying. Um, And by that, I mean, life itself is a process of losses and deaths and smaller ones. And through every single loss and death, we grow a little, we actualize a little, we become more engaged in the act of living. And so when we engage with and complete physical death, whether it is by our own hand, autonomous death, or because of disease or injury, um, that is our ultimate and final act in our humanness. That in that moment, we then stop dying a little every day. Mm. We have achieved our ultimate goal as human beings. And now we can basically surrender graciously and go forth to our spiritness to, to completely release the soul and and go with our soul to wherever it goes. Mm -hmm. And if that is someone's own conceptualization. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, you know, it's a case of when death shows up in your space, particularly when it is a suicidal individual, this is an absolute. Uh, death is always present for all of us. The response to it is something really simple. It's an O, it's a life raft, and it is essentially a gift from one soul to another to have the conversation about, so what will that ultimate moment, that ultimate solution, that ultimate actualization actually be like for those two people in that space, or maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's a family mm-hmm. and to have that conversation. So, yeah. And to know that, um, you being the life raft, you being you in that moment is good enough. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that is where we have that attachment, that connection, that deep um, yearning as human beings for connection with another. We want the connection based upon the simplicity of our hearts, not the platitudes, not the affirmations, not the stuff, not the doing. Uh, It's in the purity of that moment, heart to heart. And it really is about simply sitting and being present in that space and that conversation and listening, despite the fact that the soul listener is struggling to breathe, Mm -hmm. feels like all their blood has gone into their toes, Mm -hmm. 
and their head has become completely filled with fog because they're thinking, oh my goodness, no, I wasn't prepared for this. Simply know it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Take your breath back, catch it, sit quietly, listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew, this was a big one. <laughs> uh, but such an important thing to actually talk about, like you said, uh, to somewhat counter the platitudes that come out, especially with social media, where, again, I do believe people mean well, and but at the same time, I really don't think they know what to say. And so sometimes what they say is actually not helpful at all, because I don't believe that it is really being present in that space or holding space. I think it's just saying something for the sake of saying something. And it's what you were talking about, that some people don't know what to say, so they just start to inject things into the space. Um, and so I think that this real conversation today, Sheila, is uh, countering that and giving people like concrete knowledge about what and how to handle a certain situation that not everyone will find themselves in. But if at some point, whether it's someone that you know, or a complete stranger, that by listening to our talk here today, that they, they have some sense of the physical reactions actually also we talked about that and I'm glad we touched on that that they'll have when they hear that information that's right Um, and that's that's really what this conversation was all about Mm -hmm. is that people will often say um, with respect to what has been thrown out uh, in in the media uh, and what they read and and from whoever they're interacting they'll say oh yeah yeah I've got this I've got this but then when the moment actually hits they're completely unprepared for it so I wanted them to understand this is what's going to unfold for you. And that's okay. Just catch your breath. And this is how simple it can be. And so that in a way, I hope that they actually have a tangible or a real uh, set of skills that they can turn to now. It's a very simple set, mm-hmm. but something that they can actually latch onto as what it means to hold space. And although we, our talk today is really focused on suicide, that autonomous death, the reality is that this approach to being O and the life raft can be applied to any and all intimate conversations Mm. about anything. Uh, And the more you practice it with those important, but not necessarily life and death types of conversations, when the life and death conversation shows up, because it will, mm-hmm. not necessarily because it's suicide that presents, mm-hmm. but someone in your world is going to face the end of their life. But the more you have practiced this being the life raft day in and day out for all of the other in conversations that you have with family and friends and coworkers, the better you get at it, mm-hmm. the more comfortable you get with it. And the more you will find yourself being truly connected with soul connection, with heart connection for yourself, and then therefore being that really receptive Lego piece for another. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that is fundamentally the takeaway from our conversation today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you say too, the key regardless is to listen, to understand, not to answer. And that 
for some people is going to be a challenge. And we're not here to judge. We're here to just share a perspective that is maybe something that is for, for maybe the first time in your life, you're hearing it in a different way and can apply some, some different things. To and, it's, and it's completely fine mm-hmm. that for most people, they listen to answer just know that there's another way yeah. and we all practice it. And, and even those of us who are professionally trained to listen mm-hmm. to, for the simple purpose of understanding, we have great days and we have terrible days <laughs> at doing that. And so, yep. you know, and we have to practice and remind ourselves of that. And uh, so it's also developing a degree of self-compassion and self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. And again, the more we do that for ourselves, the more comfortable we're going to be in doing that when we're sitting with someone else mm-hmm. who is in distress. So it's it really is a case of trying to keep it simple, do the very best you can, mm-hmm. and some days you will be extraordinary at it, and other days you'll go, hmm, that's something to be desired, but that's okay. Even Winnie the Pooh mm-hmm. had great days, and then there were days where he ate way too much honey. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I want to thank you, Sheila, for your time today and for this very important topic. I think it was a great discussion and just two things. Um, Well, first of all, I just want to make sure you didn't have any final thoughts. I think I know. I I think I've covered it all. Mm -hmm. And certainly um, I know that you put up on the podcast that if people want to discuss this at Mm-hmm. more length with me or they yes. they feel that they need someone to speak with who is very comfortable with dying and death and and they can't find um a therapist in their area find some, uh, you know an appropriate mm-hmm. um, mentor or guide that they are welcome to reach out to me right um, and that was my second thing <laughs> so yeah. people can reach you at osullivanpsychotherapy.com that's o s u l l i v a n psychotherapy.com and your contact information and some more information about you and your practice is located there and um yeah thank you so much for this and i do think that there are so many avenues that we could continue to carry this conversation so it simply means we have to do more podcasts together looking forward to that jules thanks so much for inviting me today bye-bye have a great day bye-bye Thank you for joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.